God be the glory. If you have your Bibles, please join me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse number 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse number 17. And while you're finding your place in the Word of God this uh, morning, did, uh, he- did you hear about the couple that had been married for 60 years? Did you hear about that, John? Well, let me tell you what happened. So they were married for 60 years. They were sitting on the front porch one day, and the wife turns to her husband and says, Man, I remember when you used to hold my hand. So he just kind of took his hand. He reached over, and he grabbed her by the hand, Charles, and held her hand tight. She looked at him and said, I remember when you used to kiss me on the cheek. So he got up out of the rocking chair, holding her hand, walked over and kissed her on the cheek. And he, she said, I remember when you used to nibble on my ear. He turned loose of her hand. He turned around. He started walking off. She said, hey, 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 hey. Where are you going? He said, I'll be right back. I got to go get my teeth. (laughs) Okay. All right. Now you found your place. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, picking up in verse 17. Remember, just by way of context, what we talked about last week. Remember, Paul has written this letter from a corrective perspective. It's a corrective document. He's correcting some things in the church. And he's already corrected the uh, thought process in regards to gender and uh, covering your head and uncovering your head. We talked about that, having several ladies come to church this morning with their hats on. That was so cute, so nice, so wonderful. And uh, so at any rate, uh, here he moves into this passage of Scripture, and now he's going to say something very, very important concerning the Lord's Supper. Notice what the Bible says, picking up in verse number 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that when you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be heresies among you, and they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in one eating, every one taketh before the other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another's drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame them that have you, that have not? Uh, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had up saying this cup is the new testament of my blood this do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do show the lord's death till he come wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the lord but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of this bread and drink of that cup for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself not discerning the lord's body For this, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep or die. For if you would judge yourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. 
that ye come together not into condemnation, and the rest I will set in order when I come. You may be seated for prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, once again, Lord, I humbly come before you, and I ask in the name of Jesus you'd strengthen my voice. God, I pray, Heavenly Father, you would anoint these lips of clay. I pray that as I preach your word this morning, that I will ever the decrease, you will ever the more increase. Lord, we love you. We thank you for that one that got saved in the service before this one. Thank you, Father, for those three baptisms. Thank you, Lord, for the baptism we had on Thursday afternoon. God, I pray here today that you would... Uh, that you would strengthen the body of Christ. I pray, God, that you would encourage each and every Christian that's here. And, Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that's not a Christian, they do not know the free pardon of sin, I pray today would be the day the scales fall from their eyes, they'd see the truth, and they'd be set free in that truth. Lord, we love you, and we're so grateful that we have this opportunity together. Bless it now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that's vitally important when you think about an occasional document uh, that is written for a specific occasion, we must understand and know what the context is talking about. The context of this particular passage of Scripture is about this right here, what we call the Lord's Supper. Have you ever wondered why in the world we have such little bitty cups? And why in the world do we have such a small piece of bread? Why do we do it this way? Uh, because nobody's going to get full. This ain't no supper. I mean, we live in the South. Bless God, we know how to have supper. And this ain't supper. Uh, why do you do it this way? Well, there's a very important reason why we do it this way. We do it this way because when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, it changed everything. You see, when Corinth first began partaking of the Lord's Supper, they did it the way the previous generation did it, and they did it the way the previous generation did it, and they did it the way the previous generation did it, and so forth and so on. Now, we understand that the Lord's Supper first began uh, over in the book of Exodus at the Passover. You'll remember when Moses was trying to get the children of Israel out of Egypt. As he was getting the children of Israel out of Egypt, uh, Pharaoh would not let the children of Israel go. And so God sent ten plagues. And you'll remember on that tenth and final plague, it was the most devastating. It was the worst one. And what happened there was just simply this. The death angel came and he rested upon the firstborn, uh, everyone that was in Egypt. And so we find here that God, through his sovereignty and through his grace, that if you'll take uh, the blood of an animal there, uh, and you would take that, that animal's blood, and you'd put it on the doorpost, and on the door said, uh, you'll be spared by the death angel. And so they did just that. They took that lamb, and they put the blood of the lamb there on that doorpost and upon the door there. And sure enough, the death angel passed by. But wherever the blood was not applied to the door, we know the firstborn died. And then Moses, in his, uh, in his listening to God and God speaking to Moses, God told Moses, said, I want you to do this annually. I want you to remember this day annually, and I want there to be a big feast. That feast then was called Passover. And then Passover started, and it went from generation to generation to generation to generation until Jesus got there. And then when Jesus got there, Jesus said, I'm changing everything. I am come to fulfill the law, and no longer are you going to have to think about when Passover comes, you're not going to have to think about uh, the blood that was applied to the doorpost and the lentils. You're not going to have to worry about that anymore because I'm going to be the one that you think about. I'm going to be the primary sacrifice. I'm the one that's going to die in your place. I will be the ultimate sinless, spotless lamb that dies for the sin, for the sin of mankind. I will die for everyone's sins. And he says, then, as often as you do this, I want you to remember me. 
Now, what's fascinating is anytime man gets involved with what's going on, man always has a tendency to pervert what God has given us. God's given us two ordinances as a church. He's given us baptism, and he's given us the Lord's Supper, both of which point to Jesus Christ, of which he is the purpose, the primary purpose. Well, when the church here at Corinth, and remember, Corinth is what we have linked to what present-day Las Vegas is. Corinth was a society that was absolutely hedonistic. Man, there was the temple of Aphrodite there, uh, the god of sex and pleasure. There was the temple there of Esquipius. Esquipius was a, the god of healing, the false god of healing. And at his temple, and archaeologists have found this to be true when they've excavated Corinth, they found that in the temple of Esquipius, you could go in there and you could have a meal. It was like a, I don't know, it was more like a, a golden corral. <laughs> you could go in there, make a sacrifice, get a plate, and just enjoy the meal. I mean, it really, that's the way it was. It was absolutely incredible and amazing. And remember Paul, when he's teaching the church at Corinth, he says, I don't want the church to look anything like the culture that's there in Corinth. I want it to honor God. I want it to focus on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So everything that I want you to do, I want it to focus on Jesus. So you, you have liberty in Jesus Christ. You have freedom. But if that freedom and liberty hinders the gospel, I'm asking you to limit your freedom. Limit your freedom. And that's what it's all about here. As in this corrective document, Paul is trying to correct them in, li in limiting their freedom as it results to the culture. And so he does three things here in this text that I want to show you. Let me show you these three things. I hope it will encourage you as we study the Bible today. And maybe it will help you as you teach others the Word of God as well. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is a strong criticism. A strong criticism. In verses 17 through 22, Paul gives a strong criticism to the church. And he gives this criticism on three accounts. He says, number one, he says, I'm not happy with you, and I cannot praise you. I cannot say good job, well done. I cannot praise you, number one, because there's divisions among you. Look at what he says in verse number 17 and 18. He says, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, for that ye come, when ye come together, you don't come together for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Now, what is he talking about here about these divisions? What does he mean by that? What Paul is talking about is the cultural and economical divisions that happen in Corinth. You see, in Corinth, you were in one or two categories. You were either rich or you were poor. Those were the only two social statuses that there were in Corinth. You were either rich or poor. There was no middle class. So the rich people got days off. The rich people, they didn't have to worry about being off. They were rich. They had everything that they need. The poor people of Corinth had to work 365 days a year. They didn't get Veterans Day off. They didn't get the 4th of July off. Uh, they didn't get uh, Passover off. They didn't get any special holidays off. They had to work 365 days a year all day long. And so what was happening here when it related to the Lord's Supper, they had what was called love feast where they had these big suppers planned. Now remember, the church at Corinth did not meet in a building like this. They met in homes. And so they met in these homes, and what would happen on the day of Passover, people would have to go to work. And so they would get up, and the poor people would get up and go to work while the rich people would come, and they would get the Lord's Supper ready. But here's the problem. The problem was they divided themselves up in rich and poor categories. 
And because of that division, what would happen was the rich people said, well, we just need to go ahead and have our supper. Well, the only problem was it wasn't supper, it was breakfast. While everybody was working, they decided to go ahead and eat. And so Paul says, I can't praise you in this, first of all, because you've divided yourselves against each other. There's this disunity that exists in the church. There ought not to be any divisions, period, when it comes to born-again children of God. He says, but I'm going to tell you something else. Not only am I upset at you because there's divisions, he says, I'm also upset because there's cliques. Look at what he says there in verse number 19. He says, for there must also be heresies among you. I would, if I had my pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I would underline that word heresies. The word heresies is a Greek term, heresies, and it literally means a sect, a splinter, if you would, that's come up and has risen to the occasion. Now, what's fascinating about this particular sect is it's more in fashion of what we know as a clique. It's a popularity contest of about four or five people that have come together and have tried their best to elect within themselves somebody that's going to be their leader. Look at what the Bible says here. The Bible says, For there must also be cliques or heresies among you, that they which are approved. You got together, you approved, you said, here's an individual. He's the most popular. He's got the most pull. He's got the most influence. We want him to be our leader. And so what Paul is saying here is, You've chosen a leader inside the clique, inside the division, if you would, the division, the clique, a leader, and now that leader's doing battle in the church. You're not even listening to your pastor anymore. You, you're more concerned about what the clique leader says rather than what the Word of God says. He says, I can't praise you for that. I cannot praise you for that. And then number three, the third thing he says. He says, I can't praise you for your self-centeredness. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 21. He goes on to say, For in eating, everyone taketh before his own supper. One is hungry and another's drunk. Here's what he's saying. Paul says, You've got these divisions, rich and poor. You've got these sects they are leading, these leaders that you've picked in a popularity contest that are ultimately taking the attention off of Jesus Christ and the Lord's Supper and putting the attention on themselves where you're not even listening to your pastor, but you're doing your own thing. He says, and then on top of that, you're just making a mockery out of the Lord's Supper. He says some of you uh, are going to the Lord's Supper in such a way that one's hungry and another's drunk. Who's hungry? Watch this. The hungry ones are the ones that have worked all day, and they come to the, to the church, to the local house where the church is being held, and there's no food. And can you imagine going to church to partake of the Lord's Supper? You've worked hard all day, and you walk in, and there as you walk in, there's the, the congregants of the church, the rich, those that don't work, that had the day off, and they've already ate all the food, and they've drunk all the wine, and now they're drunk. And the Bible says that they're, they're hungry. The Bible says, I can't praise you for that. Paul says, there's no way I can praise you for your self-centeredness. I can't praise you for your cliques. I cannot praise you for your divisions. And so he gives them a strong criticism to say, yeah, you may be doing the Lord's Supper, but you're not doing it right. So after this, not only does he give a strong criticism, that leads us to their second point here. In verses 23 through, through 26, he gives a standing custom. We see a standing custom. 
In verse number 23, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the, is the New Testament of my blood, as often as you drink this, uh, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup and unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. So we find here in this text, in, in particular, the Lord's Supper, he gives us, if you would, a standing custom. Now remember, anytime mankind or religion gets involved, they're going to mess it up. You look across the board today as we participate in the Lord's Supper, which, by the way, the next Lord's Supper here at Maysville will be on March uh, the, the 31st. Uh, please, I hope that you'll mark that down, and we'll be together, and we'll have the Lord's Supper. But let me show you what mankind does today. There is a religion out there, the Catholic religion. They teach that the Lord's Supper is transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. Now, I know that's a big word, but it's important that we understand what they're saying when they, when they, when they partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, the, what they're saying is when the priest takes the Lord's Supper, when he takes the bread and he takes the juice and the priests pray, he literally takes Jesus off of the throne and the bread literally becomes Jesus' body and the juice literally becomes Jesus' blood. And so it is a form, if you would, what I know some of you think and say, man, that's cannibalism. Well, that's what they believe. That when you take uh, the bread, you literally eat the body of Jesus. And when you take the juice, you are literally drink, drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. That's called transubstantiation. Now, truth is um, funnier than fiction. This really happened. You can search the internet. You can Google it and uh, see if I'm telling the truth or not. But several years ago, there was a man that came to a uh, 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 Roman Catholic Mass for the, the Lord's Supper, for the Holy Sacraments. And the priest will do one or two things. He'll hold the wafer like this right here, and he'll either put it in your mouth for you, uh, or he'll put it in your hand, and then you pop it in your mouth right there in front of him. And oftentimes, he'll put his hand under you to make sure that it goes in your mouth. The reason why is they don't want you dropping Jesus. Now, I know it's funny, but it's true. They don't want you dropping Jesus. That's the truth. But there was something that happened a few years ago in a Roman Catholic service uh, in sacraments that's quite fascinating. One guy came to get the bread, and the priest put the bread in his hand and the man put it in his pocket and left. And this is no joke. They tried to prosecute him on kidnapping Jesus. It's the truth. Isn't that fascinating? Truth is funnier than fiction. Now let me ask you this question. Is that what the Bible teaches? Well, there's another teaching out there, and it's called consubstantiation. Consubstantiation. Consubstantiation is believed by our Lutheran uh, friends. Our Lutheran friends, they, they have communion every single Sunday. And what they believe is not that this literally becomes the body of Jesus or this literally becomes the blood of Jesus, but what they believe is that uh, Jesus is uh, around, under, and within the elements. It's more of a mystic type of uh, belief system. It's not that it's literal, but that it's mysticized by some way. It surrounds it. The Jesus uh, surrounds that. 
that. And uh, in taking that, you are receiving salvation. Now, listen, they also hold to the fact you have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So what I'm saying here for our Lutheran friends, what they're saying is they add to this. They say Jesus plus the Lord's Supper will save you. Here's the question. Is that what the Bible says? All right, there's another form out there, and this is our Presbyterian friends. They hold to what's called a Reformed belief system. Uh, the Reformed belief system, they believe that the Holy Spirit is present within the room. Amen. I believe that uh, as well. But they hold to the fact that when you partake of uh, the bread, when you put the bread in your mouth, and when you drink the juice, then you are receiving, you are taking in God's grace. It's the grace of God that's coming inside of you. Now, is that what the Bible teaches? No, the Bible doesn't teach that. When did you receive grace? When you got saved, you received grace. All right? So, if the Bible doesn't teach transubstantiation, if the Bible doesn't teach consubstantiation, if the Bible doesn't teach reform, then what does the Bible teach? Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Watch this. I'm not about to tell you what the Bible says. We're about to see what the Bible says. There's a vast difference in me telling you what the Word of God says and looking at what the Word of God says. So I want you to say, this preacher ain't preaching just to preach. I'm telling you, this is what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord. That's my job. That's my responsibility. Now you care less what I think. What I really want to know is what does Jesus have to say. So here we are. Here we go. In regards to the Lord's Supper, this passage of Scripture says three things. Three things about the Lord's Supper. Number one, the first thing it says, that it is an act of remembrance. It is an act of remembrance. Look at what the Bible says in verse 23 and 24 and 25. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. Paul immediately goes back to the Last Supper. He says, notice the Last Supper. This is what happened, verse 24. And when he had given thanks, that is when he prayed, when Jesus had prayed, he broke the bread and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Watch this. This do in remembrance of me. Jesus said that the Lord's Supper is just like baptism in the fact that we remember what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. You see, you understand in baptism, here's the water, here's the candidate. When the candidate goes into the water, that's a picture of the cross where the water intersects the body. It's a picture of the cross. When the candidate goes under the water, that's a picture of the death. When the candidate comes up out of the water, that's a picture of the resurrection. I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. And I rose again with Jesus Christ. Follow me. In the Lord's Supper, we find that the bread is a representation of the body that was beat. His beard was plucked out. He was whipped with the cat and nine tails. He died on Calvary's cross. And the Bible says when they thrust that spear up into sight, blood and water flow. He didn't spill his blood. He shed his blood for our sins. And so we're identifying ourselves with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remember that. The first act of the Lord's Supper is an act of remembrance. Remember the Lord. We call it memorial. Now, what, right here at Maysville, we have what's called open communion. Open communion. That means the only requirement that you have to have in order to partake of the Lord's Supper is you've got to be saved. That's it. You've got to be born again. There are other churches that say, well, that's not what this teaches. This teaches closed communion. 
And close communion just simply means the only way that you can partake of the Lord's Supper is you've got to be a member of that particular church. Um, I don't see that here. I see that the Bible says as often as you do this, if you're a born-again child of God, do it in remembrance of Jesus. It's an act of remembrance, number two. It's also an act of unity. Notice verse 26. The Bible says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Now, if you mark in your Bibles, I would underline that word, ye eat. You see it there? For as often as ye eat... Now, the word ye, or you, if you would, uh, many times is classified in the singular. However, in this particular instance, it's taking us back to verse 17. What do you mean? Look at verse 17 again. The Bible says, Now in this I declare unto you, and I praise you not, that when ye come together, that when ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Verse 18. For first of all, when ye come together in the church. So he's talking about this unity that we have within the church. And the context is giving us the ye here. The ye is the church. So he's saying, for as often as the church eats this bread and the church drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he Come. He's referring here to this arena of unity. When we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we do it in a uniform fashion. We don't do it like, a, like they used to do it back in the first century and Passover. No, the reason why we do it the way that we do it, and we have the little cup, and we have just a little small piece of bread, is bless God, ain't nobody going to get full on that. We all going to leave here hungry. I mean, it's true. We all are going to. Why? Because the focus, watch this, is not on the elements. The focus is on Jesus. Number three. The third thing he says here is it's also an act of preparing or proclaiming or making the gospel visible. It's an act of making the gospel visible. Where do you see that, preacher? Look at, look at verse 26 again. The Bible says, For often as the church eats this bread and the church drinks this cup, ye do, I would underline this, show the Lord's death till he come. That phrase right there, show the Lord's death till he come. That's the New Testament way of saying sharing the gospel. Paul is saying, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you share the gospel. You talk about the death of Christ. You talk about the blood of Jesus. There's the resurrection of Christ uh, in the fact that one day we're going to be with him in heaven and he's going to serve us. We see the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and we're making the gospel visible to everyone who sees it. I'm so grateful to God that when we partake of the Lord's Supper around here, we do it from the, uh, from the act of being a remembrance, from being an act of unity, and from making the gospel visible. Did you know that um, I can count on one hand, we've had many, many, we try to have four uh, communions or the Lord's Supper, which I have four of those a year. We do one morning, and we do three in the evening. And in regards to that, just about everyone, almost every Lord's Supper we've had, we've had somebody saved. Why? Well, because it's an act of remembrance. And it's an act of unity. The church is focusing on that together. And we're making the gospel visible. And people get saved. The man got saved at this last hour because he saw within the elements the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus, and the body of Jesus, a standing custom. And then number three, let me give you this third thing, and I'm going to close. Here's the third one, final one. The third thing I want you to see is a simple conclusion. 
A very simple conclusion. Paul closes this section of corrective, uh, this corrective letter in regards to the Lord's Supper by saying, look, this is a very simple conclusion. Here's how you can fix the problem that the church at Corinth is having or by way of application, any church that is struggling with uh, taking advantage of the Lord's Supper. We see that in verses 27 through 34. He says, number one, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to have a proper participation. You've got to have a proper participation. What do you mean? Verse 27. The Bible says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body uh, and the blood of the Lord. What Paul is saying here is just simply this. When you partake of the, Lord, of the Lord's Supper, you need to do so in a worthy manner. For to do so is unworthy, and you do not know Christ as your Savior if you are partaking in an unworthy manner because you don't know the true meanings of the elements. So he says you've got to be careful. You have got to partake in a worthy manner. So what is that? How is that worthy manner? How do you do that? Well, that gives us to the second point very quickly. He also get, tells us about personal examination. There ought to be a personal examination. We find this in verses 28 through 34. The solution uh, to an improper participation in the Lord's Supper is self-examination. Notice what he says there. He says, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh uh, damnation. To himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, listen, let me tell you what he's not saying here first. Paul is not saying that if you drink and you got sin in your heart, then you've lost your salvation, you're going to go to hell. That's not what Paul's saying. The word damnation there is a Greek word where we get our English word judgment. In fact, it is translated judgment several times in other passages of Scripture, but it's communicating, if you would, a chastisement that comes to a believer, to a child, if you would, uh, who does not obey his parents. Uh, I've got uh, two of my boys here today, and they're, they're growing up. I thank God for John Grady, and I thank God for Grant. We, we love them, but, man, raising these two boys is like herding cats. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, I thank God for them. And uh, there have been some occasions where Dad had to discipline them. Now, in my discipline of them, did I disown them? Well, Lord, no, that would be ridiculous. How foolish would that be to disown your own child for something uh, foolish that they did as a child? No, you just discipline them into correction. And so we discipline them into correction. The same thing is true with God. God loves you. You're his son, his daughter. He'll never disown you as a born-again child of God. But because he loves you, he will chasing you. He will discipline you. And so what Paul is saying here is when you approach the Lord's Supper, if you've got anything on your mind other than the Lord Jesus Christ, you better rest assured he's going to discipline you. That's what he says here. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 30. He says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. What's he saying there? He says, Some of you are dead, you're sick, and you're walking around with no power in your life. Because when you come to the Lord's Supper, the Lord's chastening you. He is disciplining you because you're doing it in an unworthy fashion. 
You don't care that the poor people are not there. You're just wanting to help yourself. The poor people are having to sneak, sneak things in. They're not doing it right either. There's a real problem here, and God is trying to get your attention. Will you listen to him? Verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. There again. Uh, he's not talking about being condemned. Uh, uh, he's talking about God chastening you. You're not losing your salvation, but you're being chastened, whipped, or spanked, if you would, by the Lord. Verse 33. Wherefore, or because of all this, my brethren, when ye come to eat, tarry one for another. He just simply says this. Before you partake of the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. Wait for each other. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. It says, rich people, fill up before you come to the house of God for the Lord's Supper. So what he's saying here, that you come not together in condemnation. People are going to come in, they're going to condemn you because, look, y'all ate all the food. And he says, the rest I'll set in order when I come. What's he talking about there? Probably the drinking. I'll be honest with you, it's probably what he's referring to. He's probably saying, I'm going to set this drinking part straight when I come. Because you're living in Corinth and you've got lost people looking at you every single day. And what do they see when they see a Christian participating in drunkenness? It ain't right. It ain't right. There's nothing godly about it. We are to be drunk on the Holy Spirit, not drunk on alcohol. Remember what Paul said. Paul said, all things are, are lawful to me, but all things are not beneficial. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power. And then he says a second time in Corinthians, I will not do it because it does not edify the body of Christ. So there are some things, watch this now, please hear my heart. There are some things that we as Christians, we have the liberty to participate in, but we shouldn't participate in it because it hurts the gospel, it hurts our witness. It's not that it's going to send you to hell. The fact of the matter is simply this, it hurts the witness that we have for Jesus Christ. And so Paul is very uh, pointed when he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I heard a story of uh, uh, one of our old uh, uh, Vance Havner, wonderful man of God, wonderful preacher. Somebody asked Vance Havner, said, uh, "How do you know? How do you know that uh, it's all right to do? How do you how do you know it's all right to do something for the Lord? You know, you know. Well, how, how do you know it's okay? There's a practice that I want to participate in. I'm just not sure if it's going to please the Lord. How do I know I can do this for the Lord?" And Vance Havner said, he uh, opened his coat up like this and he looked down at his heart and he said. Lord, I'm about to take this Diet Coke in my system. Will this Diet Coke please you? He says, that solves it all. That solves every bit of it. And I know it's crazy and foolish, but it's true. Lord, with this alcohol that I'm about to drink, will it bring glory to your name? Well, according to the Word of God, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, wine's a mocker, strong drinks rage, and if you participate in it, you're not wise. You see, again, we, we have not said, and we've never said here that you can't drink. What we are saying is it's not wise to drink. What Paul's saying is it's not wise to drink. You better not do it. Why? Because it'll hurt your witness for Jesus. That's not in my notes. All that's free. You, every bit of that, all that is free. All that's free. Here we go. Let me wrap this up, and I'm done. This is it. Look at verse 33. 
He says, wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat the Lord's Supper, tarry one for another. He just simply says this. When you have the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. Give each other some time to reflect. Lord, am I putting anything in front of you? He says, wait for each other. In the first century, the word tarry meant wait for the people that are working to get off of work and to get there before you start. Don't leave anybody behind. Take everybody with you. Dear friend, listen to me very carefully. Listen to the heart of your pastor. I want everybody to go with me. Y'all come on with me. Come with me. Come with me. So we tarry and wait for one another to get their hearts right with the Lord. This is the passage of Scripture that convicted your pastor many, many, many years ago. Uh, I got some friends here today uh, from Mount Pleasant, and you guys can testify to this. Y'all remember, I used to just tack on the Lord's Supper at the end of the service. Y'all remember when I used to do that, where I would preach, and at the end of the service, we'd do the Lord's Supper. I mean, it felt like it took forever. I, I got under deep, deep conviction. I got under deep conviction. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. And so I don't do that anymore. We give the whole service to the Lord's Supper. Everything, everything is focused on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The body and the blood. It's all focused on Him. Because He's the only one. Watch this. He's the only one that can save your soul. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. What I see that is, is I see that as open communion. You can come. Anybody can come to Jesus. Whosoever can come to Jesus. I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Let me ask it this way. If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Do you know that for sure? So I'm not quite sure you can know, preacher. I beg to differ. Again, I'm not on my high horse. I'm not preaching. I'm just saying the Word of God. You can look it up right here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Right here in the Word of God, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, K-N-O-W, know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. According to the Bible, the Word of God, the Bible says you can know you're going to heaven when you die. So how do I know that? How might I, how might I know that? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, coming to Jesus is as simple as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. Every one of us in here is sinned. We're sinners. Every one of us. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He died for our sins for every one of us. He died for our sins. And C, confess that to the Lord Jesus and repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Savior. Have you ever done that? I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But you want, you're ready to get this thing settled. You want to nail this thing down. If you're here today and you'd like to get saved from your heart to God's heart, 
Would you just right where you're sitting, would you say something like this to Jesus? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I repent and come to Jesus. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.